hoping that what good will happen is that that memory muscle of what it was like when the pandemic will stick with us and we will continue to help our neighbors. Hey, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a podcast sponsored by the Post Carbon Institute in which we interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good. And today's guest is Michelle Singletary. She is a syndicated columnist for the Washington Post and her award-winning column, The Color of Money, appears twice a week in dozens of newspapers across the country. She's a frequent contributor to NBR and regularly appears on weekend edition of CNN New Day, CNN Newsroom, and the Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer. She's also appeared on NBC's Today and CBS's The Early Show. For two years, she hosted her own national television program, Singletary Says, with TV One. In 2020, Washington Post celebrated her long and distinguished career at the paper with the Eugene Meyer Award, its highest journalistic honor. Singletary is also the director of Prosperity Partners Ministry, a financial program she co-founded at her church, the First Baptist Church of Glen Arden. Throughout the ministry, Singletary provides mentorship on various financial topics, and she and her husband volunteer at correctional facilities in Maryland, teaching financial literacy to prison inmates. Raised in Baltimore by her grandmother, Singletary graduated from the University of Maryland, College Park, and she earned her master's degree in business and management from John Hopkins University. She lives in Maryland with her husband and three children. Some of her titles are, uh, the one that's just coming out is What to Do With Your Money When Crisis Hits. It's a sort of pandemic money book. The 21-Day Financial Fast, the Spend Well, another book is Spend Well, Live Rich. Another, The Power to Prosper. Another, Your Money or Your Man. Another one, Your Money Mantras for a Richer Life. As you'll see, though, Michelle is not just a financial advisor. She's a love and truth teller. She's been a sister in this financial freedom enoughness path for decades. She's warm, she's wise, she's giving, she's here to serve. And I just think you're gonna be so inspired. So here's Michelle. So hello, Michelle, and thanks for joining me for What Could Possibly Go Right. And, you know, this this is certainly the year to forget, right? People talk about the year to remember, but this one is, been so hard that issues that have been simmering on the back burner are now front burner, whether it's the you know wealth and race opportunity gap is yawning wider, our healthcare system, which Americans think is the best in the world is having some of the worst outcomes on the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Our centuries of, of pouring carbon into the atmosphere is now raining back down on us as storms and fires and And in this context, I am asking people I respect that I look to for wisdom, my core question of with all that's going wrong, what could possibly go right? And I want to give you an opportunity here, which you can take or not. You know, we all know you as a wonderful financial columnist. Some people know that you have a financial ministry at your church. Yeah. an awesome financial ministry that you help people in prisons. So you have all of that behind you, but you don't have to use any of that <laughs> because basically 
it's you have developed over a lifetime a capacity to look into the multiplicity of circumstance and come up with something to say. So in that context, what could possibly go right? You know, as I look at the past year and the pandemic and all the horrible things that have happened, what can go right is that people do tend to rise to the occasion when things like this happen. And and I'm so overjoyed at the people who have stepped up to help their neighbors and their friends. Uh, And consistently, this has been not a, oftentimes when there's a disaster or hurricane or something like that, it hits, it's horrible for a couple of weeks and then it's gone and we all kind of go back to our own lives. If I can say this, and it sounds outrageous, but the joy of this pandemic is that it has a lasting effect on people reaching out and helping. And I think it was always there, but we we were so busy living our busy lives that we didn't have time to say, who can I help? I'm okay, I need to help someone else. And for me, what could go right is that it brings people back to the fact that you are your brother's and your sister's keeper and that it is a long haul. It is not a one disaster kind of thing. And I hope that that's what happens with this pandemic, that we realize that um, that people need help year long. Uh, and so, you know, like Thanksgiving and Christmas, people, you know, donate gifts and turkeys and things like that, but people are hungry. 365 days a a year. And now we understand the sustainability of helping each other. And the other thing that I think can go right is that finally we realize that we are all in this together, especially in America. We, We are trained that it's you, it's your hard work. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. So if you're successful, it was all about you. Well, none of us are successful if our neighbors and our, the people down the street or in the neighborhood that we don't even drive through are not successful, are not able to have a, a standard of living that doesn't just dive them into poverty. And I think that pandemic opened that door. And I'm a woman of faith, so I'll put it this way. I believe that God said, I need to pause all of you because you all are not thinking about each other. And the pandemic, instituted a pause for all of us. And if I can take it to a financial level, we're so busy spending and running around and we gotta have this and our kids gotta have that. And this pandemic has shown us the minimum of which we need. We don't need all those clothes. Your kids don't need to go to all those birthday parties. You don't even need a vacation. What do we crave right now is comfort. We. What we crave is to be able to put our arms around somebody that we love and respect. And, 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 and that's what good could happen from this. If we, that memory muscle stays after this is over, because this too shall pass. But I'm hoping that what good will happen is that that memory muscle of what it was like when the pandemic will stick with us. And we will continue to help our neighbors. We will continue to pay somebody's rent who's struggling. We continue to send people things when they don't even ask for it, that you know, our donations stay at the same level, that we feed people all year round, not just Thanksgiving and Christmas. But I think that's what good could happen. 
agree with you 1000%, right? And uh, when the pandemic hit, that is absolutely how I felt, you know, it's just like every day, how can I help? How can I help? And I'm still got my, my feelers out there, but it's also what is intruded in this time is the, is basically that horrible election and post-election period. So there's a revelation from sort of up in the bowels from up from the bowels of our consciousness about how not together we are. You know, it's like it, how polarized and, and in your experience in your church or your work, I'm sure you encounter people of, <laughs> it's almost like both faiths, faiths yeah. in different news media, different, different news anchors. You know, I mean, we, in terms of what we put our faith in, in this society, it could not be more split. It could not be more together. So, so. What do you see? I mean, do you actually see that there's a there's like two currents, like one that's pulling us together and one that's pulling us apart? And what do you notice in that sort of cross current there? You know, well, we were so polarized before the pandemic, um, even before the last administration was in there. We were already heading in that direction. Out where we only get one source of news and we listen to people who believe what we believe. Our minds are not open to other points of view. Um, I'm an opinion columnist for the Washington Post. And so people will write to me and say, well, I'm not gonna read you anymore because I said something that they didn't like or I said something about the Trump administration. And I said, you know, listen, that's not, that's not what you should do. I, I wanna be open to all points of view. I read conservative things. I, you know, I'm actually a conservative in a lot of respects. Uh-huh. I'm also a liberal in some other respects. You don't have to be one thing. And I think that's what, where we went wrong. We're all in our little isolated world, in our little isolated neighborhoods, reading only opinions that, that concur with ours. And we don't open up our minds and our hearts to other people. Now, I'm a woman of faith, I'm Baptist. But I, you know, I go to Catholic churches. I, you know, I, there's something about Buddhism that's very appealing to me. I mean, you have to be open. You don't have to believe necessarily, but you at least have to be open. And I think that what happened without, with the politics is that people just shut down. I don't want to hear anything you have to say about that other person on both sides. And I think that's just a horrible way to live. And you know what else it does? It closes the door to empathy and compassion. And because someone over there does something that you wouldn't do, you don't have compassion for them. But when you're in the field, and you know this, when you're in the field of writing about finance, you know people make a ton of mistakes when it comes to their finances. Some of people um, make the mistakes and they never knew the right way to do something. And some people know the right way and they still make mistakes. But you still have to say, okay, you made that mistake. Let's see how we can do something different going forward. And, and that's what we have to do in our financial lives, in our political lives. Uh, and, and when we kind of go off to a corner and say that person up there is horrible and bad, that's when we get this clash, which is what happened on the Capitol. You know, lies collided with the truth to produce this horrible event. You know, 
when Trump was elected, a lot of people talked about people who would vote for him. And I was one of the people who was like, you know, we, we shouldn't really call them the deplorables or, or they're all racist or something like that because they were hurting. They have a certain kind of pain that some of us don't reson- doesn't resonate with us. Many of them are struggling financially. And now they followed someone who was a liar and didn't really have their interest at heart. But when you are struggling and you feel like the system has shut you out, then you reach sometimes for a leader who tells you things that you want to believe. And so I'm I'm still very concerned about the polarization of not just in America and other countries as well. I mean, it, it just it astonishes me. You could be from the same culture. You look the same. It's not like in America where you've got black and any. I mean, you all come and then you have class systems. I mean, what is that about? That is just ridiculous. We are all human beings. We, all, we, you know, I have this expression. I don't know if I always get it right, but you know, the tide lifts all boats. Why don't we see that? That when someone else is risen or, or raised up, we all get lifted. Uh, and, and that's the politics that we have today doesn't see it that way. That it's almost as if everybody believes there's one pie. And if I don't get a slice of that pie, and if somebody else gets a slice, or maybe it's even bigger than your slice, that that's something wrong with that. Uh, and and I just it, it it just pains me to see how we deal with that. And maybe I have a different sensibility. I'm the parent of three children, and I always remember when we were slicing up a pie or whatever. You know, one of the kids will say, "Well, their piece is bigger than mine." And, you know, as a parent, you go, no, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's also how you are looking at it, but you still have a piece of the pie. And maybe this kid needs more. This person needs more than you have. Uh, And so my hope is that going forward, that this pandemic exposed the haves and the has not, that it was such a great uh, divide that we need to, 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 to close that divide um, more than we were willing to in the past. Yeah, I, I almost feel like saying preach it, sister. <laughs> <laughs> because really, you is this is this is the gospel of uh, it's almost like the gospel of the golden rule. It's the yeah. gospel of fairness. And um, you know, we all fall by the wayside. You do. <laughs> and so do. I do have a question for you. And um, you know, I'm sensitized to my my blindness on on racial issues and i i'm afraid i'm going to stumble into saying something right now that that has already been proven to be racist but since we're friends absolutely <laughs> we'll do this. yeah so to me it seems like in the united states you know we're sort of like this layer cake of immigrants mm-hmm. and that the layers have stayed you know that there's you know first the well, of course, the indigenous people were here long before anybody. But when the settlers came, you know, it was the white European settlers, you know, and then there's, you know, the the Jews, the Irish. And as long as the more recent immigrants felt that they were superior to the black people, they could actually feel that they're part of the story of the rise. Correct. And, um, and so it seems to me that racial hatred has been stoked to set 
the what are fundamentally people who are promised the middle class and they're they're sliding into the lower class to yeah. set them against one another to keep the dominant story of money going and so it's almost the way the problem's constructed is we we can't seem to talk about economic fairness without this sort of squabbling over a limited pie correct and and are you hearing the same um, problems or narratives in the black community around personal finance as you hear from people who are in the working class who are sliding down the slide? Are you yes. hearing the same problems in both? Yeah. And, and, and could you imagine that this was not so much a race issue as class issue? I mean, could America ever get there? Well, I have to tell you, I did hope and pray that America would get here before now. Um, I recently wrote a 10-part series for the Washington Post called Sincerely Michelle, covering race and money. And uh, I wanted to talk about redlining and discrimination in hiring and credit scoring. And some of the letters I received, I knew I'd get the racist emails. I knew it. I mean, it's just who we are in America. The ones that broke my heart were people, I'll be frank, who were more educated and, you know, college professors and, you know, upper income managers, people who I feel should know better. Uh, so the issue of race um, and those layers that you talk about is that African-Americans are still at the bottom of that layered cake. And people don't understand why we're still at the bottom. So the people who come in later um, kind of can't, and who have succeeded to reach a middle income status, although that's pretty tenuous now because the one percenters have made darn sure that their piece of the pie, if we use keep <laughs> that analogy, is they've got almost all the pie and everybody else has got this small little wedge. And they have done wonderfully in keeping that pie by legislation, uh, by lobbying, um, you know, look at our Congress. It's one of the wealthiest Congress. And when you have money, you come from money and you don't know what it's like to be hungry. You can't appreciate what it's like. And so, you know, they come in, the, the later immigrants, and they feel like, well, why can't those black people rise up? Like we did. Here's the key difference, which people still in America don't want to accept. If we talk about slavery, they want to go, the first thing out of their mouth is that's so long ago, except that it is not that long ago. When you look at it by generations, I always joke, I look like I'm 29, but I'm actually old <laughs> enough to have been born before my people had the right to vote, before we had a right to live where we wanted to live in my lifetime. And so that's not so long ago for me. My grandmother's grandparents were slaves. They were enslaved. And they tell, my grandmother told me stories about what that was like. And a lot of her financial fears came from being um, the grandchild of enslaved individuals, that mentality. And what slavery did, it just didn't chain people up physically. It changed their minds, their, their ability to fund to succeed, because to succeed as an African-American right up into the late 1970s could mean your death. And so when you enslave people's minds, 
that they shouldn't have certain things because if they tried, their physical being, their family's welfare would be in jeopardy. Imagine what that's like. So I try to tell people, imagine when you grow up in a home where there's been abuse and those children are going to suffer from that and their children are going to suffer from that unless the family gets therapy. So, you know, those millions of people that were enslaved, Black people didn't get therapy. We didn't get what it took to get out of an enslaved mind. You cannot compare the life history and, and, and strive to achieve of African-Americans to white European immigrants. You didn't come here enslaved. You weren't enslaved. Your families weren't separated um, and sold off. Um, and and told and, and actually prevented from learning to read. So all of that experience, it's not the same experience. And you know, we're often compared to Asians who have done right, quite well financially, although they're discriminated in different ways these now, also because of the virus, except they were now sort of accepted as being better. And so their opportunities increase where. African-Americans are still seen as less than. If you walk into the door of a company as an African-American, you are right away seen as an affirmative action hire and an affirmative action hire who is less than. So you have to fight to prove yourself the moment you walk in the door. Whereas an Asian or Italian or, you know, from, uh, from the background does not have to do that, right? You have to prove you're bad <laughs> as opposed to prove you're good. So the race relations in America will not get better until America accepts the legacy of slavery and segregation and Jim Crow still lives with us. Um, studies continue to show that when you send in two job applicants with the, almost the identical resume, the white candidates will get callbacks, the black candidates will not. That's today in 2021. And so that's what I write about in that series. And can you imagine as a people still dealing with that? Um, you know, my husband and I are very educated. We both have advanced degrees. Our children are all in college or, and they will have advanced degrees. And yet we are still discriminated against. So the idea that if we just value education more, well, how much more can I value education? I've got an undergraduate degree. I've got a master's degree. My husband has an MBA. He has an undergraduate. My daughter has an undergraduate. She has the master's. I mean, we believe in education. Um, yeah. So, so back to our like right now, the impact of all that's falling apart. What do you see? Is do you see anything emerging on this breaking the back? of the hidden story of race in our country? Do you see glimmers of hope and positivity? Do you see alliances happening that haven't happened before? You know, what do you from this experience? Mm -hmm. And I'm not asking for positivity. I'm asking yeah, for no, what you what actually see that, that, that may be a sea change. Maybe it's just a little sea change, but it could be a sea change. You know, I am very encouraged. Like when you saw the Black Lives Matter marches, it wasn't just Black people marching. It was reminiscent of the civil rights movement. And when I see young white adults 
uh, marching and older. And I mean, you know, that video of that elderly man who they sort of you know, knocked down to the ground, you know, white guy walking and marching. So I do see glimmers of hope. When I wrote the series, in addition to all the hate and crazy mail I got, um, overwhelmingly, I had letters from people who said, I did not, I did not understand the death of what happened to you all as a people. And, um, and people's feeling like I, I participated in this and I didn't even realize what I was doing. I got a letter from, um, I wrote about microaggressions. So microaggressions are little small things that people do. They often mean well, but it, 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 it's racist. <laughs> so, you know, when they say things, oh, you speak so well. Why wouldn't I speak well? I got two degrees. And so that's a microaggression and it happens so often that oftentimes African-Americans don't talk about it because if I just said that, that someone said I speak, I speak so well, let me marry the second, but you know, well, what's wrong with that? That meant that was a compliment. But if you hear it a hundred times, a hundred times, a hundred times in your lifetime, it is not a compliment. And so I wrote about, you know, for example, my husband was playing with our children in a pool uh, and, and, and in Florida, and we were among other families, but we were one of the few black families at the poolside at this resort. And this white guy got up from his chair, made his way all the way up to my husband in the pool. He says, I'm so proud of you playing with your children. And I could hear him. I was close enough to hear him. And I looked at my husband and my husband knows me. And he just was like, let it go. Don't, don't, don't go there. We're on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so people would say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, because when he, when he there were ads around my husband playing with their children, he didn't feel like he had to tell them, I'm proud of you playing with your children. It's perfectly normal and natural for my husband to be playing with our children. He doesn't need any congratulations for that. Um, and so when I got, uh, when I wrote that, um, this elderly woman who works at a museum in the Washington, D.C. area uh, wrote to me. She's about, I think she said she was 81. And she said, I work in a museum. And on Saturdays, oftentimes, there are lots of dads with their kids, white and black. And she said, I never realized until you wrote that column that I only, or most majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, compliment black fathers for being at the museum with their children. Mm -hmm. And she said, I never realized the message I was sending to them because I, she said, I can tell you, I probably never said that to a white father. And I'm so glad you opened up my eyes. Mm -hmm. And I just want to go apologize to all of them for thinking that they were doing something great and extraordinary when it's very ordinary for you all to love your children just as much as we love our children and to take them to the museum. Mm -hmm. And so that's the glimmer of hope that someone who's in their 80s, who clearly would have gone through Jim Crow and understood that would, would at that age can still now see the weight of this thing called racism in America and how her actions contributed to it without her really even knowing that that's what was happening. And so, yeah, I see some, I mean, I definitely got depressed when I wrote that series and I cried a lot from the things that people wrote. Um, but I also cried in joy from the things that people wrote who said, I get it now. I wrote a comment about reparations and that's like a hot button topic. But when I got letters from people, it's like, you know what? I never thought of it as theft, like they stole stuff from us. And when you 
when you told your personal family stories in that context, I get it now. Mm. And that gave me some hope. Mm. Wow. I agree <laughs> with you so on this good. one that, you know, it's, um, I sort of, I call it the sewer rats. The rats are up out of the sewer, you know. You know, it's the, under the stress of the pandemic and Black Lives Matter and the murder of George Floyd and the, the terrible election and the, the, you know, the militia. Yeah. Un, the pressure of all of that on the, the maybe undeserved positive self-regard that white people have because they've been blind and also white middle-class or privileged people. You know, it, it's so uh, hard. It's like pulling the bandage off, you know, it just yeah. like pulls the hair out, but go ahead. Right, no, I understand why they're blind, you know, because, you know, think about our own personal lives. You're just trying to make do for you and your family, right? You're trying to, and 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 I, you know, I don't, I, I'm not mad at them. I just want their eyes to be open and be open to what you don't know. Um, because, you know, the KKK, the extreme races, they're going to be like that. They've always been there. We can't change their minds. They're just evil. But there are a whole swath of people in the country who just need to come out of your own cocoon. Because mm -hmm. what they see is, I made it. I, my parents didn't have much. And we scraped and sent me to school. And I did the same for my children. Why can't you do the same? Well, in your world. You could walk down the street and not be threatened with being lynched. In your world, you are constantly thought of as less than. You know, in your world, you know, your kid, you don't have to worry about your son, your white son, where I have to be worried about my black son. And so if we could just open that door a little so you can come mm -hmm. out of your world and your cocoon, then once that happens, I find that people do understand the struggle, but I gotta get you out of that cocoon. You need to be read, you need to read, you need to go to book signings about people who don't look like you. You know, um, just, and don't, let, don't just rely on the hype that you see in the media, and I'm part of the media, but oftentimes the way we portray is one way, right? You know, black guys with the pants down, with the underwear showing, but we're such a diverse community of people who are like that, and people of middle class and upper class, and I call it tribaling and not tribaling, I mean, just like you. Um, and so I think that is a struggle to get people out of their cocoon you know, so that you understand. I mean, all of us need to do that, right? I mean, we need to know more about so much of other people, Native Americans and 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 uh, people with different sexual orientations. I mean, all of that. We will become such better people if we just come out of our cocoon and expand our world. Yeah, thank you. I, I think this is a wrap and I, when I, one of the things I want to say, having listened to you, is that, and people don't talk about it much, but maybe this is a, a time of learning empathy. Yes. You know, it's like you, you're known for teaching about finance, but what I really hear you teaching about is empathy and uh, honestly, Christian love. Yeah. So. Thanks, Michelle. For, You're welcome. You know, yeah. that's really what it is about, actually. Um, people reduce 
financial literacy to the numbers. But you know what? That it's really so much more, which is what your book, your money yeah. your life, really is completely about, which is what I what I adored about that book was that there are numbers in there, but it's like, look, we only have a certain amount of time on this life. And you only have a certain amount of hours in a day. And you got to put your finances and your resources to what you truly, truly value. And you got to figure out what you truly, truly value. And then put your money on that. Because all this other stuff that you have is not, it's not going to mean anything. It's going to rust. It's going to, you know, go away. And I think that's for me what financial literacy is about. You, you know, all of us, no matter what kind of money you earn, you can't earn, you, you know, if you want to be a teacher, it's going to be right where that teacher salary is. Right. And so, okay. So how do you live a good life and not pine for more or do things to elevate you to a different level that you can't afford? And that's really what it's about. Like, what are you spending your time on? So I never tell kids, you know, this whole this whole push for entrepreneurship and and oh, you got you got to be in the STEM. Well, that is to me not what you should be doing. There are some kids who are absolutely gifted in science and tech and engineering and math, and that's where they should be. But not every kid should be doing that. And you've got to respect those other areas. So let's teach you how to live on that salary in the area where your gifting is. We need bus drivers. We need teachers. We need social workers. We need people in all areas of our life. And, and that's kind of where I come from. Like, tell me what you want to do. Let me help you sort of manage where you're going to be. And I think because, you know, you gotta, you gotta live a life that is gonna be more than just stuff, uh, because this, like I said, the pandemic has just shown us um, that we could get rid of all the ninety uh, percent of the stuff that we spend money on and be just as happy. Right. Exactly. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Join us on Patreon and become a financial supporter of the show and for exclusive content and special online events. Thanks also to Cher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.